this morning we're, we're into part two of this series of messages on identity. And last week we talked about how some Christians, you'll hear, you'll hear this said from time to time if you've spent any amount of time around church or Christians, uh, you'll hear someone say something like, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. How many of you ever heard that before? And then how many of you have actually said it? I mean, I've said that before. But if we look at that statement and we look at the theology of the Scripture, that statement, there's a contradiction in it. And so it's really not a biblical statement. The contradiction in the statement says, you know, if you're a sinner, it means you're not yet saved. It means you're not yet redeemed. It means you're not yet set free. Because that's what a sinner is. So a more accurate statement, if you are in Christ, if you have, have proclaimed and declared that Jesus is the Lord of your life, and that you have believed upon Him, He is the Son of God, and you believe that He was born of a virgin, He lived a perfect life, died a selfless death, and had a glorious resurrection, and now sits at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you and me, and is going to come again, then, then you're no longer a sinner. You are now saved. You're now redeemed. You're now set free. And so the more accurate statement for us is, I was a sinner, but now I'm saved by grace. I stepped out of my old identity, stepped into my new identity. I'm not no longer a sinner. Now I'm a saint in Christ Jesus. I no longer identify with being a sinner. I identify as being a saint. Is it because I'm perfect? No. Not yet anyway. God is still working uh, His work in, in process of sanctification and transformation in my life. So it's not about me being perfect, but it's about Jesus who is perfect. And I'm in Him. And when God sees me, He, sends me, he sees me through the lens of Christ. And so that's who I identify with. I identify with Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17 says... That if we're in Christ, then we are new creatures. We're new creations. That means we're a new species of, of people. We're not the same as we were before. Old things have, are, are dead. They're gone. They're passed away. And everything else now has become new. We also said this. We said that roots determine fruits. Everybody say that with me. Roots determine fruits. What does that mean? It means that if I continue to identify as a sinner then that's where my life is rooted, is in, in the place of sin. But if I, if I root my life in Christ, then I'm going to see transformation and sanctification, that process, accelerated. Amen. We, we came up with this little fun saying, and I'll say it again. Um, you guys ready? Some of you are like, I, I thought this was so cheesy last week. Why is he doing this again? I like to have people laugh at me. Um, if sin is the soil where your identity takes root, then all you'll taste is sour fruit. But if Christ is the soil where your identity take, takes root, then get ready to taste some delicious fruit. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, that was cheesy. I'm not clapping for that. Thank you for whoever that was. I appreciate the support. Um, but, but today, let's do this. Let's keep digging down on identity here. Let's keep, let's keep unveiling and, and unraveling this, not unraveling in a bad way, but unraveling in a good way, opening up this truth and, and letting God kind of do this process and renewing our thinking here. 
Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 says this. It says, For as he thinks to himself, as he thinks within himself, so he is. So at our very core, our foundation, who we believe we are, it's going to affect everything else in our life. Our identity is the determining factor on, on how we feel about things. When things happen to us, when people say things to us, it, it affects the way we hear people when they talk to us. It affects the way that we think about things. It affects the way then we speak about things. And it affects the way that we act. All of that is rooted in our identity. Where, what kind of soil are we letting our identity take root in? And so as you think you are, as you think, so you are. Who you believe you are determines everything about the direction of your life. And so the question we ask ourselves today is, who do you think you are? You know, a lot of times that statement is made kind of like in the accusational, judgmental kind of like, who do you think you are? But do this. Turn to your person to your left or your right. Turn to your neighbor and ask them, who do you think you are? Y'all are too nice. You guys got it down over here. Try it again. Look at somebody. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? So many things out in the world. Uh, they want so many things want to mark us and define us, and and uh, and establish our identity. There's there's so many messages out in our culture, out in the world that are bombarding us with ideas that say this is who you are, this is what's important, this is what should matter to you, this is what's going to fulfill you. But the at the core of all those things, the reality is is that that nothing, none of those things are compared. When you match them up and you try to compare them to who God says that you are, they don't hold a candle to that. All these other things, all these other influences, all these other voices don't carry nearly the same amount of weight to who God says that you are. And so when we ask the question, who do you think you are, then we, then we have to say, well, who, who does God say that I am? Who, who, what does his word say about me? Because when you know who you are, then you'll know what to do. When you know who you are, you'll know how to live. You'll know what God wants to do in your life. Our identity is the starting point for everything that God wants to do in our lives. But many of us don't really fully recognize that. We don't fully grasp our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. And so sometimes I hear people ask me, um, hey, J.D., I've got the situation going on in my life or I've got a situation going in my family member or friend's life and I really want you to pray for them. And, and that's great. That's a wonderful thing to ask. Uh, it, it, that's not a bad thing at all. It's a marvelous thing to agree with each other in prayer. That's why every single week we make it a point to have our prayer team members up here before the service and after the service. That's why every single week at our prayer meeting on Wednesday nights that we take an opportunity to not just pray corporately for just our, our, our church in our city, in our country, in our nation, in our world, but we also take moments where we break out into groups where we pray over individual needs with each other. So agreement in prayer is, a, is an important thing, but I know sometimes when I hear people ask me that, what they're really thinking is, J.D., um, you have more like spiritual oomph or power than I do, 
So would you pray? Because I, I think God will answer your prayers. I'm not so sure that he'll answer my prayers. Uh, God's going to hear you, but I'm not sure if he hears me. And so that, that this, this person or people, they don't realize that there's no second class Christian. Like, like in the kingdom of God, there's no class system. We're all on the same, on, on the same playing field. The, the spirit of God that's in me is the same spirit of God that's in you. And so, please, please, don't ever like think through your mind, well, I'm never going to ask J.D. to pray with me about anything. Just don't think that he'll... No, 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 no. But you hear what I'm saying? Like, you're, you're not second class because you, you know, didn't go to seminary and you don't work in the church. Or that, those, aren't, those aren't requirements for the Spirit of God to come and live inside of you and do marvelous work. Yeah, right? Thank you, Jesus. And so what we need to realize is, is that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive inside of every single one of us. If you're in Christ, you've got access to God, and you can come boldly before the throne of grace into his presence. You can ask for help in your time of need. If you're in Christ, you have access to the name of Jesus Christ, to whom which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and someday that he is Lord. Amen. And you have access. When it comes to your identity, don't label yourself in any way, shape, or form as a second-class Christian not having the same amount of power available to you that was in Jesus Christ himself. Many of us, we think, well, well I, I, I'm not where I want to be. You know, um, I, I want to be more into the Word. I want to spend more time in prayer, and I just can't get my act together to do those things. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better friend. I want to be, do better in my business. But I just, for some reason, I, I'm not performing. And, and so I, just, I know I need to just try harder. So you've got all these external things that you want to change. And that's okay. That's good. That's wonderful. But first and foremost, you need to know this, that your position determines your performance. It's not the other way around. Your performance does not affect your position, but your position affects and it determines your performance. You are in Christ, and because you're in Christ, you're accepted. Because you're in Christ, you're loved, because, and unconditionally. But so many times, instead of focusing on our position, we focus on our performance. I'm not doing enough. I'm not reading my Bible enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not serving enough. I'm not giving enough. I'm not doing all these things. I struggle with these issues. This happened to me. That happened to me. And what the enemy tries to get us to do is to look and focus on our performance instead of looking at our position in Christ. That's one of the greatest schemes of the enemy that he has. It's to keep us from from living and walking in the blessings of God for our life is to focus on the things that we're doing or not doing and not focusing on just who Jesus says that we are. I know it's hard to grasp sometimes because we live in a culture that is performance-based culture. We live in a culture that even it goes all the way back to our childhood where in middle school you tried out for the basketball team and you didn't perform as well as the other guys, so you got cut. And in, in academics, it, it's the same system. 
You perform well, you get good grades, you score well on your tests, you turn in the homework, you jump through all these hoops, and then you get rewarded with scholarships. And, and, and it continues on into the business field. You know, you do well, you work hard, you show up early, you leave late, you uh, come under budget, you accomplish your, your tasks you know, before the deadline, and then you get promoted, you get the raise, you get the bonus. And so in our culture, we have this performance focus in our culture that we live in here on earth, but there's another reality that's happening in the kingdom of God that is not performance-based. The kingdom of God operates on a completely different system. It operates on the, on the, on the system of position, not performance. Thank God that the kingdom of God is not based upon the, the systems of this world. Amen. But instead of being performance-based, it's position-based. If you really want lasting change in your life, You've got to first recognize your position in Christ. Why? Because everything that you feel, everything that you think, everything that you act on is out of the overflow of your identity. It's the very base foundation. There's two things, really. The way that you view God, and then first, so that's first, and then the way that you view yourself in light of who God is. I love... um, I think it was Tozer said, the most important thing about us is what comes to mind when we think about God. Because that affects everything else in our life. It's the very foundation, where it's at the very top, and everything trickles down from that. So the way that we see God, but the very next thing right under the way that we see God is the way that we see ourselves in, in light of who Christ is and in light of what He has accomplished. So this is... This is base. This is foundational stuff. This is like, you know, uh, Jesus told this parable. He says, you know, there's a guy that went out and he built his house. He dug down deep until he hit rock. And then he poured footers on that. And then he built a slab onto that. And then he built his house. And then a storm came and the house didn't topple because it was built on this foundation. And then he said, but there was a guy who he went out and he built his sand or built his house on, on sandy foundation, on soil that had not been tested, on soil that erosion was happening. And then the storm came in their life. And what happened? House washed away. And so our, our identity is a foundational thing in our entire life. And if your identity is rooted and based in Christ, storms are going to come. This is, the gospel is not, hey, give your life to Jesus and everything will be perfect. Give your life to Jesus and you'll never have another problem in your life. Give your life to Jesus and you'll, get, you'll be rich and famous. Give your life to Jesus and it'll be whatever the perfect picture it is that you have conceived in your mind. That's not the gospel. But what we do have a promise is that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And then when we build our foundation on, on who God is and who we are in Christ, then it doesn't matter what comes at us. We will still be standing. Because, and again, it's not about us. It's about Him. So, who do you think you are? I think I'm loved. I think I'm accepted by God. I think I don't have to prove anything. 
Listen, if you live your life out of um, performance-based you know, stance, foundation, then you're, one of two things is going to happen. We, we've kind of touched on this in different, different talks from time to time. But if you live your life in performance base, you're either going to get into the area of pride or you're going to get into the area of shame. You'll, you'll step in it like a big cow pie. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, what's this? Oh, that's pride. Oh, I stepped in another one. Oh, that's shame. And it's disgusting. It's like things you don't want to step into. But when you walk in performance, it's like walking through a cow pasture, blindfolded. And blindfolded. <laughs> I did not plan the illustration. The Holy Spirit just downloads these things sometimes. Um, if you think you're doing well, if you're really proud of your performance, then that's where we step into pride. And so we think, well, I'm, I'm doing pretty good as a Christian. I go to church every single week. I even show up before the third song. I show up when the countdown's rolling. I give. I'm faithful in my giving. I serve. I do all these things. And so what we have now is this, this laundry list of external-based things, this, this behavioral checklist of, of do's and don'ts. This is the same kind of thing that the Pharisees were. These are the rules the Pharisees were playing by back in Jesus' day. And, and Jesus was like, you guys don't get it. You guys don't get it. And, and so um, we... we we're like, look at what we do. This is what the Pharisees did. They're like, look at what we do. We've perfectly kept the law. We even know how to wash our hands just the right way. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus actually calls them out and he tells this little story. And he, he says, hey, the, the Pharisee, he goes out into the street and he says, this is how the Pharisee prays. He says, he says, God, thank you so much that I'm like, not like other people. I'm so awesome, God. It's like the, like the guy who says, God, look at me looking at you. <laughs> Look at me, God, worshiping you. And this is the Pharisees. They're like, God, look at me. I thank you so much that I'm not like the adulterer. Thank you. I'm not like the thief. I'm not like the liar. I'm not like the tax collector. You have till Tuesday. <clears throat> I did mine last Monday, so I'm good. Thank you, God, that I'm not like all these vagrants, God. I'm so awesome. And then, and then, the, and then the, the Pharisee goes on to tell God their resume. God, look at all these things that I've accomplished, all these things that I've done. Check this out. If I, aren't I awesome, God? <clears throat> and so their relationship with God, their position with God, their, their foundation with God is all performance-based. But the problem is that our performance does not reconcile us to God. Our performance does not make us righteous. Our performance is not what gives us access to God. If it was, then Jesus didn't need to come. There was no need for Christ to come and redeem us and pay for our sin and rise. If this is the way God's system works, if it's performance-based. But again, performance is not, it's not what reconciles us. It's not what makes us righteous. It's not what gives us access to the Father. That's in Luke 18. Speaking of Luke, there's a Luke Bryan song out right now. <laughs> called uh, maybe country music people in here, maybe you've heard it. Most people are good. Heard this song? 
Uh, <laughs> Daniel, thank you for your honesty. He's like, nope, I haven't heard it. Don't plan on hearing it. Um, I listen to a lot of different genres of music. And this song, uh, you know, it's a real feel-gooder. You know, I, I don't know if that's even a real word. I just made that up, feel-gooder. Uh, it, it's, it's really, it's a pretty optimistic song. But I implore you, don't get your theology from country music lyrics. <laughs> Because in the, in the second verse of this song, the, fir- the very first line says, I believe them streets of gold are worth the work. And, and um, don't get your grammar from country music lyrics either. <laughs> but <laughs> there, there's this, communi- the, 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 this line of the song communi- is trying to communicate that we get to heaven based on our performance. And that's just not so. That's not true. Our, our culture is littered with these little things all throughout our, our culture. And in our quote-unquote Christian culture. And, and so they sound like Christian things. They, th- they sound like sound theology because it, it's saying it's talking about heaven. So it must be right. No, I'm sorry. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that you, we don't get to dance on the streets of gold because we're doing work down here. We get to dance on the streets of gold because of who Christ is and because of what he has done. So, look, Brian, just... Anyway, bless your heart. Um, if our identity is rooted in performance, we can step into pride and we, we can think that what we do makes us better than other people. That's one ditch on one side of the road. But there's another ditch on the other side of the road, and that's the ditch of shame. And we get this idea that we can't go to God. We can't approach God because I'm not good enough. Because I haven't, uh, I've got all these issues. I've got all these struggles. I've made too many mistakes. And so in our hearts, we don't feel, we don't believe that we're worthy to receive God's love and acceptance the way that He says He does in the Scriptures. And that's shame. And shame, like I said... It's a great enemy that the enemy tries to use against us to keep us from walking in the blessings of God. And I know so many believers, including myself, that, that have stepped into shame. And what's great is when you start to get this revelation that you're a son and that you're a daughter and this is your position in Christ and that you're no longer a slave, you're no longer an orphan. When you get this revelation of that, when shame starts to... When the, the enemy tries to speak shameful things to you, you kind of kind of first like, yeah, I know. But wait a second, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, and my identity, my my position is unchanged by what I do. Those of you that have children in here, are your children perfect? No, mine are not. I love my children, but they're not perfect. I, I think they're great. I think they're wonderful, but they're not perfect. And when they're not perfect. That doesn't make them any less my son or any less my daughter. They're still my son or my daughter no matter what they do. That's their position. That's their right. That's their title. I'm their father and they're my children. It's unchanging. But shame, if we allow it, it keeps us from being confident with our relationship with God. It keeps us from being bold in in doing what He's called us to do. It keeps us from... Being bold when we go to God in prayer and asking for, for things. But, but Jesus said this. He says, hey, if you go and ask the Father for a piece of bread, He's not going to give you a rock. He's not going to give you a snake. 
We have a good father who, good, who gives good gifts to his children. Listen, we don't want to step into pride. We don't want to step into shame. So we've got to remind ourselves that our identity is not found in our performance. It's found in our position. That's it. One of the other mistakes that we make is thinking that we've got to be somebody else that we're not. Something else that we're not. In order to gain the love and acceptance from God, in order to gain love and acceptance from people. We, talked, we touched on this a little bit last week when we talked about masks. We put on a mask. All a mask does is that it allows the things behind the mask to, to fester and grow like an infection or a bacteria. Or we just like completely assume the identity of the mask and we lose our, our God-given identity altogether. Back in November, we uh, were talking about some of the hallmarks of being a healthy church. And we visited this story in Genesis chapter 25 of two brothers named Esau and Jacob. And what I'd like us, for us to do today, I'd like for us to revisit that story, but I think there's some things in there that the Holy Spirit wants to highlight to us and draw out some things that are different than what we drew out back in November. And so in Genesis chapter 25, we've got the mother and the father, that's Isaac and Rebekah, and they, um, they've been trying to have babies for years, for decades as a matter of fact. And then finally God answers their prayers, and Rebecca becomes pregnant, and she gives birth to these two twin boys. The firstborn is Esau, and he grows up to be a hunter. And then the secondborn was Jacob, and he grows up to be a homebody. You know, so Esau is this like big, manly, masculine warrior, hairy type of guy. You know, John Rambo kind of guy, and Isaac, the dad really loves and favors him more. And then we've got Jacob, who's mild-mannered. He's not rugged. He was refined. And he was loved more by his mother and favored more by her. But he lives his entire life thinking, my dad doesn't love me as much as he loves Esau. I'm not like Esau. I don't measure up to Esau. I don't fit the mold. In chapter, chapter 27, if we fast forward through uh, the rest of chapter 25 and 26, we, we fast forward through some, a lot of dysfunction that's rooted in this uh, you know, sibling rivalry. It's rooted in you know, the, the children and the parents being positioned once, against one another. Some messed up stuff. And, and in chapter 27, Isaac, the father, he's now old. He's um, blind. He's losing his eyesight. And he's not really sure. Um, he's not really sure how much longer he's going to be around. And so he does this. He calls for his son Esau. And he says, Esau, I want you to come here. And this is what I want you to do. Son, I, you're a skilled hunter. I want you to go out into the field. And I want you to hunt for some special game. And I want you to come back. And I want you to fix my most favorite meal. And once you bring that to me, I'm going to pronounce this, this final personal blessing over your life. Well, Rebecca, the mom, she's eavesdropping, and she hears what's going on. And remember, Jacob is her favorite son. And she wants Jacob to have that blessing. 
So she calls for Jacob, and she says, Jacob, I want you to go over to the flock, and I want you to get two of the young goats, but the very best of the young goats. And I want you to bring them to me, and I'm going to prepare your father's favorite meal. I'm going to bake some bread for him, prepare him this delicious meal from this, the goat meat that you bring to me. And then you're going to take it into him, and then you're going to get the blessing. Well, Jacob's kind of like um, freaking out a little bit. He's a little nervous about this. Because this is not a little minor thing. This is not like, hey, let's play a little trick on your dad. You know, it's April Fool's. No, this is a big deal. So Jacob's like, Mom, uh, he's going to know that's not me. I, you know, uh, Esau is, is rough and tough, and I'm smooth and silky. <laughs> What if he asks me to come near him and he, and he reaches out and grabs me? He, he's going to know that it's not Esau. Rebecca said, let me worry about that. You go get the goats. So Jacob went out. He got the goats. He brought them to Mama. Mama made dinner. And then she went over to Esau's closet. And she pulled out Esau's finest robe. But you know, when you... When you lay in your bed, and maybe those of you that are married, you know that your spouse's pillow has a, a certain scent to it. It's got their scent. And you've worn clothes before, and maybe they're not dirty, so you hang them back up, or you fold them, and you put them back away in the drawer, and you get them out. They've got your scent on it. Yeah. And so Mama goes, and she grabs Esau's robe, and she brings it and puts it onto Jacob. And then he's still like, Mom, this does not fix everything. So she says, listen, we'll take care of it. So they take some of this goat skin, and they wrap Jacob's hands with it, and they even put some around his, around his neck. And my question is, how hairy of a guy do you have to be that if someone is impersonating you, they have to put on goat hair? That's a hairy dude. So Jacob, though, he's probably still a little nervous. He's got an, his Esau costume on, and he takes dinner into his dad, and he greets Isaac. But Isaac is thrown off a little bit. Isaac doesn't bite on this just quite yet uh, because, you know, Jacob, his impersonation, his vocal impersonation of Esau is pretty good, but it's not perfect. And so Isaac's like, well, which one of my sons are you? Jacob said, it's me, Dad. It's, I'm Esau. I've done what you've told me to do. I've gone out and I've killed this special game. I've come and prepared your favorite meal. I've brought it to you now. So now I want you to hurry up and get this on with and get this quick, quickly done before Esau comes back. And I want you to pronounce your final blessing over me. Let's get her done. Well, I, Isaac's still not sure. Isaac's still a little skeptical. He says, how are you back so quickly from hunting? Jacob, um, God bless me out in the field. Talk about taking the name of the Lord in vain. Not cool. Jacob's really digging himself a hole there. Still, Isaac's not satisfied. He says, are you really Esau? I want you to come over here and I want to touch you. Remember, he's blind, so he can't see. Jacob comes over there, and Isaac's feeling his hands. He says, this is the voice of Jacob, but these are the hands of Esau. 
Are you really Esau? And Jacob's like, Dad, yes, it's me. I'm Esau. So Isaac eats his dinner. He drinks his wine. And then he's still, he's still unsure. And he says, son, I want you to come here. I want you to kiss me before I pronounce this blessing over you. And Jacob comes over to his dad and he leans over and he bends down to kiss him. And at that moment, Isaac can smell now the scent of Esau from his clothing, from his robes. And Isaac pronounces this final blessing over Jacob. There's a few talking points that we could spend some time on in this account. We could talk about uh, Rebecca's shadiness as a mom and a wife. <laughs> we could talk about how Jacob just kind of went along with the plan of deceit and lying. But I think there's a couple of other things that here that the Holy Spirit maybe wants to highlight to us today. The first one is, is this, and it's how we somehow think that we've got to be like someone else to receive the blessing of the Father. Somehow we think we've got to be somebody that we're not in order to be loved and accepted and blessed by God. And we think, man, I struggle with this. I mess up with that. This happened to me. That happened to me. And because of all of this, I can't approach God with confidence. I can't approach God with boldness. So we think that we've got to try to be someone else that we're not, be something else that we're not, in order to receive God's love, His acceptance, and even love and acceptance from other people, for that matter. We've got to pretend to be something that we're not. That's one thing. But there's a, a dual insight here. There's another truth that we see in this account. So the flip side of this coin is, is that just like when Jacob approached the father for the blessing, when we approach God, God says, I hear the voice of Jacob. I hear the voice of Adam. I hear the voice of Tom. I hear the voice of Shirley. But I smell and I feel the son whom I love. Come close to me. Let me smell you. Come near to me, close enough that I can touch you. I hear a different voice, but I smell and I feel the son whom I love. The voice might be different, but now you're dressed in different garments. You're dressed in the garments of the Son whom the Father loves. And when we're in Christ, we no longer bear our former identity. We no longer identify as a sinner. We identify as a saint. We no longer identify as an orphan or the, the, the second-class child who's unloved. But now we're identified as Christ. We're joint heirs with Christ, Scripture says. We're co-heirs with Him. And so we identify with this. And this is who God sees me as. And everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to me. Every bit of love and acceptance that the Father has for His own Son belongs to you and me when we're in Christ. Because now we're no longer dressed in the clothes of the past. We're dressed in a robe of righteousness. Romans chapter 13 verse 14 says, Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.27 says, All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Isaiah 61.10 says, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God 
For He has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. You need to know that as you approach God, that you are in Christ and that you're already dressed in a robe of righteousness of the Son whom the Father loves. And no longer do you have to approach God shaking with shame or fear or guilt or worry. And it doesn't matter what happened 10 years ago. It doesn't matter what happened 10 minutes ago. Every single time that you approach the Father, He says, come here, come close. I I love you. I want to bless you because I see, I smell, I touch the Son whom I love. The righteousness that we try to gain through our works, through our performance, it's like putting on dirty rags that have holes in them. And they have oil stains all over them. But when we approach God with our identity in Christ, then we can approach in confidence. We can approach in boldness. And we can receive the Father's blessing, not deceitfully through trickery, but legitimately through Christ's identity. Mm-hmm. Amen. You guys stand with me. I'm just going to invite you right now just to... Close your eyes and focus on what the Holy Spirit is inviting you towards today. Psalm 62, David says this. He says, um, says, trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. And so we're here in this moment right now. And we have this opportunity to trust Him. We have this opportunity to pour our heart out to Him. We have this opportunity to see God as our refuge. We have this opportunity to be real with Him and to be real with ourselves. And listen, we don't have to try to be something that we're not. Maybe you've been battling in your own power. Maybe you've been struggling and try to accomplish in your own power, in your performance, in your own works, apart from your place in Christ. Maybe you've allowed certain things from the past to define you. Certain words that other people have spoken over you. Certain lies that you've believed about yourself to define you. But it's not true. It's not God's truth. Which is the thing that lasts throughout all eternity. But the truth is is that you're in Christ. That you, if you've accepted Him, if you have declared Him, if you've given your life to Him and you're in Him, then that's who you are. Just go ahead and close your eyes. And again, just lean into this moment. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you wanting to do in my my heart and my thoughts today? What kind of breakthrough are you wanting to bring to me? I want to encourage you, don't put up with one single thought about your identity that is contrary to to who God says that you are. Don't believe the accusations of the enemy because if you're in Christ, God says that you're his ambassador. God says that you're his masterpiece. God says that you're an overcomer. God says that he loves you unconditionally. And maybe there's some things in your past that you need to let go of. Maybe there's some things that the enemy has tried to, to use to define you and keep you from walking in all the blessings that God has destined for you. But today you can let those things go in faith And I say to you, the old has gone, the old is dead, and all things have become new. New life is ahead. 
God wants to do a new thing in your heart. He wants to do a new thing in your thoughts, in your life, in your identity, in your family. He wants to create this atmosphere of His power and His presence to be the driving force in your life. And everything else is spilling out as an overflow out of what He's doing in and through you and who you are in Christ. And now is the time. Now is the time for you to break your identity or to break your agreement with any identity that doesn't measure up to Christ. Break that agreement. Come out of agreement and come into agreement with who God says you are. Come into agreement with who He is. I'm going to ask us to pray right now. We're going to pray together in faith, knowing that God hears our prayers and answers them. And we're going to ask God to do a new thing, to make us new creations if that's what we need to do, or to actually now start walking in the truth that we are a new creation. So let's all pray this together out loud. Everybody just repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, I come to you boldly. I come to you boldly because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. I choose to believe that I am in Christ. I choose to believe that I am in Christ. Nothing can separate me from your love. Nothing can separate me from your love. My past will not define me. My past will not define me. It has no authority over my future. It has no authority over my future. I declare I am a new creation in Christ. I declare I am a new creation in Christ. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. When you step out of this place today, do not walk back into that old identity. Come on. It's going to try to creep up on you. But refuse it. Remind yourself. Get into Ephesians. This week, this week, this whole last week, been, we've been looking, uh, we've been starting our days with looking at Ephesians chapter 1. Let's move on to Ephesians chapter 2 this week. Ephesians chapter 2, this actually the whole book of Ephesians, has so much richness in it when it comes to our identity in Christ. I'm going to pray a blessing over you from the book of Ephesians, but I want to give you the opportunity. If you have some need for prayer in your life today, our prayer team is going to be over here on the this side wall, and they would love to meet you and pray with you about any need that you have. If you want to take a step toward being a follower of Christ today, come down here. They would love to get to know your name and pray with you and help you walk through that threshold onto the path of following Christ. If you've got any other need today, whether it's for healing or whether you need a financial breakthrough or whether you're dealing with depression or you've got issues of relationships with your family or whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity today to pray with someone in agreement, not because, well, I just don't have, you know, my prayers won't matter. No, 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 no. It's because Jesus said there's power in agreement. And maybe the the Holy Spirit is going to download something to them that you need to hear prayed over you, over your identity. And over the situation of what the truth that God says over your life. And so, you know, E.M. Bounds said this. He said uh, that prayer is the greatest of all forces because it brings God into active aid. Don't miss this opportunity to come and, and, and be, pray in agreement. Next week we're going to continue this, this journey on identity and dig down a little bit deeper. But let me pray this over you. This, is, this benediction comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power at work within us 
to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. So glory to you, God, in this church and in Jesus Christ throughout every generation, forever and ever. And everybody said amen? Amen. 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 Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.